0: Isaiah 117. Good to see all of you here tonight. Hope you're doing well tonight. Isaiah 117. The Lord through the prophet Isaiah says this, Learn to do well, seek judgment, <clears throat> relieve the oppressed, judge the fatherless, plead for the widow. I'll read it again. Learn to do well, seek judgment, and that's justice. Relieve the oppressed, judge the fatherless, plead for the widow. And that's just one scripture out of many that we'll be reading tonight. I'm going to be teaching you in an area that was probably uh, new for me to teach and also for you to hear. It's on the area of social justice. Social justice. And what does the Bible say about social, social justice? Let's pray. Father, we come before you right now. We ask your blessing to be upon Lord your holy word tonight. We thank you, God, for your goodness and your mercy and your grace. In our life, and everybody said in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated in the name of the Lord. Social justice. To begin with, in the Bible, there are a couple of Hebrew words that we need to make ourselves familiar with. One is mish mishpat mishpat, and I know I'm. Butchering that Hebrew word, mishpat, but that means it means to be fair, fair in ruling. Okay, so the English word is justice, Hebrew word mishpat, biblical terms. This one means fairness of ruling. There's another Hebrew word, zarik, which means just or right. Okay, what is just or what is right. So one has to do with the fairness of ruling, justice, and zadiq is what is just and right. A couple of Greek words. Kresis has to do with legal judgments and verdicts rendered and fairness. So the Greek word kresis is connected to the Hebrew word mishpat, which means again, a fairness in ruling, okay? Justice in ruling. Christus again. Legal judgments, legal verdicts, and being fair in those verdicts. The other Greek word is dike, which means equity or righteousness, morality or righteousness. So we put all those together, and then we're talking about fair decisions, fair verdicts. In the judicial system, we're talking about what is right, what is just, what is moral, what is equal, okay? And so that is uh, biblical terms in the area of justice. Now, when you talk about social justice, it's really important. You cannot go on and watch the news without social justice being the topic. Okay? It ranges all kinds of different things like how to help the needy, okay? What about the health care system? All right? Uh, what about abortion? So on and so forth. Um, it just goes on and on and on. Immigration is a big one that's in the news today. okay? And so when we get into social justice, we're talking about, Basically, what's fair, what's right, okay? It, how do we take care of the needs of the poor? What about the health care system? I'm going to repeat myself. What about immigration? What about abortion? All these various social things, okay? How do we deal with those? How do we help the poor? Okay, whose responsibility is it? How do we deal with oppression? How how do we handle the widows? How do we handle orphans? These type of things. We're talking about social things, social justice. And we're going to see what God says about it. But first of all, when we talk about social justice, it is the way a society functions. Okay? And hopefully, in a uh, just society, when you have social justice, that that society is functioning in a just way, in a fair way, and a moral way. So, when you talk about social justice, you're talking about a way a society functions. Does it do so justly? Are you with me here? That's what social justice justice basically is, again, the way a society functions or a culture functions. Does it do so justly? Alright? When you talk about social justice, efforts to improve our society, you basically have a broad view when it comes to social justice, and the broad view is, is our society fair, and is it just? That's a broad view, okay? Is it fair, and is it just? In its rulership, in its laws, legal system, the way it works with the poor, and the needy, and all of these things, you're talking about a broad view Basically, again, is it fair and a just society? For some, when you talk about social justice, it is dealing with one particular thing. For example, uh, does everybody have a certain wage? Okay, a particular wage. So when they talk about social justice, they're saying, well, is the um, minimum wage enough? Well, the problem with that, if you start focusing on social justice based on one particular thing, like, you know, how much people are getting paid, minimum wage, that can get very dangerous. Okay? Um, you can sort of really lose focus of what really social justice is supposed to be all about by just focusing on one particular need. Do you understand what I'm saying by that? So anyway, the efforts to improve our society, the broad approach is just to have a fair and just society. The narrow approach is just social policies like a particular wage, okay? Now, the biblical concepts, what does God say in the Bible about social justice or justice? Go to Isaiah one seventeen again. Is this important to God? Now, we focus on Eternal things, we focus on salvation, we focus on the world to come as a church, but does God want us to focus on this present life, amen? Does He care about justice in this life? Does He care about fairness? Does He care about equality? Does He care about these things that we hear about on the news so often? Does God care about them? Or should the church only focus on eternal things like salvation, heaven, and hell? Should we focus on the social aspects that deal with the earth in the now? That's what we're going to talk about. How does God view social things? Does does He care about these things? Okay. So Isaiah one seventeen again, learn to do well, seek justice. Relieve the oppressed. You with me here? Judge the fatherless. Plead for the widow. So we have right through the prophets here, God is telling us that it is important for Him to be a just people and a people who lives justly. Let me say it where we can understand it. To be a people that are righteous, that live right, amen, that seek to help the oppressed, that seek to help the powerless like the widow, so on and so forth. According to this verse right here, God does care about that. He cares about orphans. He cares about widows. He cares about people that are oppressed. He cares about people that are unjustly treated. Okay? And He's telling us as a people, His people, that we are to care about the widows. We are to care about orphans. We are to care about the oppressed, those that have been unjustly treated. We are to... Are you with me here? We are to care about the powerless. We are to care about the poor. According to the Word of God, That God cares about these social things. Are you with me here? Okay? So again, we know God cares about eternity, where we spend eternity, but again, my question is, does He care about the life now? Social things and and people and their needs and their uh, fairness coming to them and, and needs being met and so on and so forth. And according to this verse, He does care about that. And He wants us as His people to care about that. Let's go over into the book of Micah. Micah 6 and verse 8. You're going to learn a lot today, and I'm really stepping out to teach this to you. If we're going to understand the church, ecclesiology, we need to understand where the church is on social things. Okay, Micah 6 and verse 8. Verse 8, he says, He has showed thee, O man. I'll give you a little time to, to get there. All right? Micah 6 and verse 8. Is everybody there? Okay. He has showed thee, O man, what is good and what doth the Lord require of thee. Okay? What is good and what does the Lord require of thee? What does God require of us? And what's good? To do justly and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. So a requirement for you and I as believers is that we are a just people. That we are a fair people. Okay? That we walk humbly with our God. So God cares about justice. You understand what I'm saying? What we're reading here. Okay? God requires this of us. Now let's look at another scripture in Amos chapter 5. And we'll talk about in a moment the the challenge is how to get there. Amos chapter 5 and verse 24 <clears throat> The prophet Amos Amos says, but let justice run down as waters and righteousness as mighty streams. Again, but let justice or judgment run down as waters and righteousness as mighty streams. So again, God requires of us to be a righteous people. He requires of us to be a just people. Okay, Amen. Amen. Social justice is important uh, to God. Now let's go over in uh, Jeremiah 33 and 15 <clears throat> in the kingdom age the messianic age when Jesus Christ comes back and sets up his earthly kingdom one of the cr- the key characteristics of that messianic age is justice or fairness or equality or equity, I should say. Say, equity. Verse 15: In those days and at that time will I cause the branch of righteousness to grow up unto David. He shall execute justice, which is judgment, and righteousness in the land. So that is a key characteristic of the kingdom age: justice and righteousness in the land. Let's go to Isaiah 42 and verse 4. Isaiah 42, 4. He shall not fail nor be discouraged till he has set justice in the earth and the isles shall wait for his law. Alright, so here We see in the Messianic age, a key characteristic of that age is going to be an age of righteousness and justice. So, this is in the heart of God. And if it's important for God, if that's one of the goals, that's a future goal in God, is that there will be an earth that will have fairness, righteousness, and justice in it. If that's a future goal for God, then it ought to be the goal of His people. Okay? Do you understand that? All right, let's go over to the New Testament. Jesus Luke chapter 4 verse 18 what was Jesus uh, viewpoint when it comes to justice okay Luke 4:18 okay the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor do you see that? Okay, preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, To preach deliverance to the captives or the oppressed. And recovering of sight to the blind. To set at liberty them that are bruised. So we see when Jesus Christ came into this world, as far as the way he viewed people, These are the things He came to do. Amen. Preach the gospel to the poor. Heal brokenhearted. Preach deliverance to captives. Recovering of sight to the blind. Set at liberty them that are bruised. So according to the Word of God, even in the New Testament, Jesus came to do these things for people in this life. Now go to James. James 1.27 If if our the Bible uses the term religion, but I'll use it this way. I'll say this. I'm not going to add to the Word of God or take away from the Word of God, but so you'll understand if we have a, a real, true, authentic faith in Jesus Christ, if we are really Christians, authentic Christians, the Bible says in James 1.27, Pure religion and undefiled before God, say pure religion. pure religion, okay, and undefiled before God and the Father is this to visit the fatherless, that's the orphans, and widows, get it? In their affliction, and to keep himself unspotted from the world. So we see what Jesus Christ came into the world to do. And then we see James is talking about it here. He says, if your religion, if your Christianity is authentic and it's real, he said, you're going to care about the orphans and you're going to care about the widows. Now, normally the orphans fall in the category of poor, poverty. When you talk about the widows, they fall in the category of powerless. So basically what James, which is the book of wisdom in the New Testament is saying, is that what gauges our... Christianity is being real or not real is based on how you treat the poor, the orphans, and the powerless, the widows. Okay? You understand what I'm saying today? So that if you and I care nothing about the poor or the powerless, then we can question whether or not our Christianity is genuine or not. Okay? Say praise the Lord. Are y'all with me? Okay, go to First John. First John, three seventeen. Okay, you there? All right. John says this, but whoso hath this world's good and seeth his brother have need and sheddeth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? Amen? Now obviously we're talking about legitimate need, but I'm not going to qualify the statement that, that is made in the Scripture. Okay? You see, if we see a brother in need and we don't reach out to help that brother in need, then the Bible says, how dwelleth the love of God in you? You question whether or not you've got God, God's love in you, the love of God in you. If, you're, if you don't care, and I don't care about the needs of our brothers and our sisters, as, as he says here, how dwelleth the love of God in us? Amen? So it's important, isn't it, to to God, according to the Scripture, that there be fairness in society, justice in society, Um, the relieving of the oppressed, the helping of the orphans and the widows, so on and so forth, the people in need, as we have read, Um, the poor and the powerless, and, and so on and so forth. These things, according to the Word of God, are important to God. Okay? Say amen. And if they're important to God and they are an, a goal, an ultimate goal, when He comes to set up His kingdom, then we as His people need to be that kind of people. Amen. We need to be the kind of people that cares about the needs of others. We need to, to be the kind of, of people that care about injustice. Amen. We need to be the kind of people that... Uh, When we see a need that we're willing to help people in need, praise God. And again, I'm not going to qualify the statement. Uh, There's wisdom in the book of Proverbs that tells us you know, when we get involved and we don't. But the whole point is, sometimes we can focus so much, and we do, on preparing a person for eternity in the world to come that we fail to help people in this world. Now, the other extreme is that some people focus so much on saving society and transforming society that they stop preaching the gospel. They stop telling the, the people how to be saved, and their whole goal is to liberate them socially. Okay, So there's two extremes. Trying to save society and not preaching the gospel in order for people to be saved eternally. Or just focusing on eternal salvation and not living life in this world or affecting this world for the good as a believer. So God is calling us to be a caring people, the kind of people that is just, that is fair, that is moral. Amen? Brother Dice used to say it this way to us. He said a good citizen will make a good church member. So When you talk about social justice, you're talking about citizenship, how you live in this world, how you live in society, how, how you relate to people in the world, the needs that are in the world, so on and so forth. Amen. And if I'm not a very good citizen in this world, I'm not going to be a very good church member. Now, when we first got in a church, I don't think any of us were very good citizens So thanks be to God, and after we got in the church, you know, we got better at being citizens. Hallelujah. So I'm not saying when you walk through the front door of the church, you're supposed to be a great citizen and right off the bat, because there is nobody here like that. At least I don't think so. Amen. But with time, I think the gospel, personally, I believe the gospel, if it's preached right, will not only prepare people eternally, but it will prepare them to live in this life. And and that as we prepare people eternally and also to live in this life, that your life should be a lot better, amen, in Christ than it was before Christ. That you should be a lot better citizen and a lot more just and a lot more fair and a lot more righteous and uh, amen. In, in the Lord than you were before. So I, I think when the gospel is properly preached, it'll affect all of your, your being, body, soul, and spirit. If it's preached correctly. Amen. Say amen. amen. And so, hallelujah. All right. Y'all with me. Now, how we accomplish social justice, this is where the challenge is. Okay? Because there's different views and how we accomplish social justice because each person is going to have a different viewpoint as to what a good society is okay what is a just society everybody's going to have a little bit of a viewpoint a different viewpoint as far as how to define what is a good social a good society so the next thing we're going to talk about Is differences because there's differences, and I'll use the term when it comes to the church, evangelically. How do we accomplish social justice? Okay? Um, Well, one viewpoint is, and this is why there's a difference, one viewpoint is equality of outcomes. Now, listen. If I have that viewpoint and you and you have that viewpoint, it's basically everybody should be equal. Everybody should get a piece of the pie. And nobody should have more than anybody else. Now, if you take that approach, uh, trying to establish social justice, that everybody should get the same amount of pie everybody gets a piece of the pie, and nobody should have more than anybody else, then now your viewpoint basically is Marxism. Basically, your viewpoint is a socialistic viewpoint. Take from the poor, give to the rich, make sure everybody has exactly the same amount, Okay, and nobody has any more than anybody else. Alright, you hear with me? And that is a viewpoint that is held by some evangelicals. And I'm not, I'm not talking about the government. Alright? Because we have that viewpoint in the government. Okay, some some officials say everybody should be equal. Everybody should have the same amount of money take from the poor or from the rich and give it to the poor. Nobody's to have more than anybody else. Let's just distribute the wealth equally to everybody. Okay? Well, that's a socialistic viewpoint. And it's in the government. But it's also, again, in the evangelical church. There are some churches and church leaders that feel that way, that everybody should have the same, everybody should get a piece of the pie, and nobody should have more than anybody else. So the question is, is that the way we should create or try to uh, go about having social... Justice. Well, the second viewpoint is instead of equality of outcome, equality of opportunity. And if if you take that viewpoint, that there should be an equality of opportunity, that effort and discipline, amen, and skill levels, are y'all here? Determine different levels of outcome. Okay, So that's one viewpoint then, okay? Uh, Instead of the socialistic viewpoint that says what? Equal in outcome? The other viewpoint is equality in opportunity. That everybody has the same opportunity as, you understand what I'm saying? You have the same opportunity that I have. I have the same opportunity to you that you have. And what's going to determine the outcome is effort, discipline, and skill. Okay? Alright, so you will see that in the evangelical church. Now, for the most part, the evangelical church has taken that approach that it's basically... The individual's responsibility, instead of the a corporate group of people's responsibility, it's more on the individual. Okay, um, so which which is the right approach? Is it equality and outcome? Everybody gets a piece of the pie. Nobody gets more than anybody else. We're just going to distribute the wealth to everybody, and that's the way we're going to have social justice. Or is it the other one? Equality in opportunity and depending on how much effort you put forth, how much discipline you have in your life, amen? amen, and how much skill set you have, that that's what determines the outcome. So you can see how what I'm teaching you now is so important because this is the debate that constantly goes on. But I want you to understand, it's not just a debate that goes on in the government. Should our government be socialistic or should it be free market? You understand? Socialistic viewpoint is, again, take from the rich, give it to the poor. Equality and outcome. Everybody should have the same. Nobody should have any more. Okay? Is that the right approach? Or is it everybody has the same opportunity and if you're disciplined, you work hard, right? Yeah. Yeah. You apply yourself. Amen? Effort. Put forth the effort and, and the skill set will determine what you produce. You know that's, that's in the government, but it's also we need to see because I'm preaching to people here today that you got one of those two viewpoints. Okay? See, today, without you coming and talking to me, I will tell you, you either have the viewpoint of equality and opportunity or equality and outcome. Okay? And, and and I know where most of us are is equality and opportunity. That everybody should have the an equal opportunity. But there are some here today that hold that viewpoint that everybody should have the same and nobody should have any more than anybody else. Believe it or not, there, there is somebody here today that believes that. Okay? So which one is it? How, how should we have social justice? Is it equality in outcome? are equality and opportunity. Okay, praise the Lord. So this is why sometimes it's hard to um, get involved in social justice because of the difference or the distinction in the viewpoints. Okay? So when you watch watch the news, whatever you watch, okay? If you watch CNN, they'll have a certain bias to a certain... Uh, social justice viewpoint and if you watch Fox News there they have a certain way of looking at social justice you understand what I'm saying today and you will hear these things that I'm teaching you right now the Bible tells us to be just the Bible tells us to be fair the Bible tells us to be have equality the Bible tells us to care about the oppressed the widow and the orphan and so on and so forth All right, but which one is the best approach Amen? How much I'd like to have a billionaire say, "All right, I believe in equality of outcome. So I'm going to give every one of you a million dollars today. Woo! I'm for that. Well, it sounds sounds like a pretty good deal. The only problem is there's some people sitting at home that are not going to do one thing. And here you are working really hard and and putting forth effort and discipline and, and everything you've got to do to make, make something happen for yourself and for your family, you probably wouldn't turn down the million dollars, but you probably wouldn't want the million dollars to go to the person that doesn't do anything. Well, maybe you would. I don't know. But, but those are the questions. You, that, this is where the complication comes in. Isn't How do we approach it? How do we you know, have social justice? Okay, amen. All right? So we have a difference of vision of what social justice means. How do we bring about a just society? Is it by the individual? The individual's responsibility? Individual action? You with me? All right, all right. Well, bringing about a just society, evangelicals for the most part have focused on the individual. Okay, the evangelical church. The individual's responsibility. Okay. Um, Or is it the responsibility of the church? Should the church be involved corporately in trying to uh, deal with the ills of the community? Or should the government Be the one that's involved in dealing with the ills of the community. Which one is it? Is it the individual that deals with the ills of the community? Is it the church that should be dealing with the ills of the community? Or is it the government that should be dealing with them? Does that make sense to you? Y'all looking at me like, well, I don't know. Well, I will say this when I get done here, we probably won't know more than what we did before we came here tonight, but (laughs) at at least we're going to give it a try, all right? And by God's grace, I'm not going to butcher this thing. Okay, so I ask you a question. How do we bring a social uh, a society that's just, how do we bring it into existence? Is it individual responsibility? Is it the church's responsibility? Or is it the government's responsibility to make sure there's social justice? Good questions, huh? For example, should there be a government welfare program or a church welfare program? Or should it be based on the individual's efforts? You understand what I'm saying? Again, what's the approach? Should should the people in the congregation, we tell the congregation, okay, you do not accept help, welfare from the government, the church is going to take care of that. The church is going to take care of all your needs just become a part of the church and whatever your needs are the church is going to take care of all of them or should the pro- the church uh, the approach be well the government will take care of your needs or should be should the approach be you as an individual have responsibility to meet your own needs amen that's the question i'm not giving you the answer i'm asking you the question Amen? Now obviously, come on. Don't act like you're all angels tonight. But when we come in here, we, we have to ask these kind of questions. Do I want somebody to do everything for me? Do I want the church to do everything for me? Should the church do everything for me? Do I want the government to do everything for me? Should the government do everything for me? Or is it my individual responsibility? Okay. Woo, some of y'all are sweating right now. I mean, you're not saying much, man. You're sweating rolling down your face. Again, so should it be a government welfare program or church welfare program? Or is it on an individual basis? Now, next question is how just can we get in this present age how much justice is going to be in this society in this present age because jesus said this jesus made a statement himself the poor have you with have you with you always have with you always the poor have say with me help me help me the poor have you have with you always all right so y'all got the point So even Jesus acknowledged that in this present age there's going to be poor people. Amen. So then the question is is how how, uh, transformed can we bring this age? Okay? Does that make sense to you in this present evil age? Are we to be looking for the world to come? Or are we to be looking as a church For utopia paradise in the here and now. Do you understand what I'm saying? So even Jesus acknowledged that the poor you have always with you. There we go. Hallelujah. If I just get myself out of the way. He said you're always going to have the poor with you. So there's never going to come a time when there's not going to be poor people. There's going to be poor people always. Okay? Praise God. All right, say amen. So the question is then, Again, um, how just can we bring this age? Now, next question. How do we balance the gospel and social justice? Do we neglect eternal salvation and focus on social salvation? What I mean by that is, should we be preaching social a social gospel should we be preaching amen a social salvation where the focus is not upon eternal life and where a person is going to spend eternity the focus is on saving people liberating people socially transforming the society in into a better place what Where's the balance? Do we just preach to people uh, and get them saved spiritually? Or do we preach to people and help them get liberated? Amen. Do we help them... um, Do we want them to be saved socially? Amen. Amen. Okay, praise God. Good question, isn't it? Oftentimes, in the evangelical church, we focus on eternal things and preparing people uh, for salvation eternally. And sometimes we neglect in helping them make a better life for themselves in the here and now. But then some focus on liberating people, you know, making sure they have equal rights. and You understand what I'm saying? To the point that they no longer preach the gospel to the people and tell them about individual sin. It's all about the sins of society and the sins of the structure and how things are so bad in the, in the structure of society instead of focus on preaching to the individual about the evil that's in them individually. So you, we can really get out of balance here. The gospel versus the social. So yes, we need to prepare people for eternally, but we should also be seeking as we preach that gospel to bring people into a place where they're a lot better citizens than they used to be. Their life is better. Amen? Hallelujah. Praise God. Amen. We shouldn't neglect one for the other, so on and so forth. Next question. How do we prioritize? Okay, and I'm talking about a church. How do we prioritize? What is the most important social things that we should be dealing with? How do I prioritize that? As a church, do we try to do everything? Well, obviously we can't. Because we're not a very large assembly. So we can't do everything. Okay? So then, what's the priority? How do we prioritize what areas of the social, of society, justice of society, what, what should be important to us? Well, for some, it's abortion. Okay? So one evangelical church, will, they really focus on that social ill called abortion. Another church will focus on another social ill, uh, homosexuality in the community okay and and I'm talking and I just recently received in the mail and I I fully support fully support the pastors especially in Texas that are making sure trying to make sure that we have freedom to preach against immoral things from the pulpit like homosexuality because in some places they're trying to take the rights of the pastors away from doing that. And so they sent me in the mail not long ago a petition to have all you sign this petition, okay, amen, of supporting uh, basically an anti-homosexual agenda, their ability to try to shut the pastor down from preaching. Now, oh yeah, when I first got it, I was ready to have all you sign that. Okay? But then it dawned on me that as each one of you put your names on that piece of paper and I submit that document, every one of your names are on that document. And they know who you are. So wisdom held me back. At least my, at least in my thinking, wisdom. You can do what you want to do on an individual basis. If you want to put your name on a, a petition, Against certain, you know, ills in society like homosexuality or whatever, that's fine. Go ahead. But as far as a pastor, me asking each one of you individually to write your name on a petition, and that's turned back, and that's turned in, I, I thought a little bit about that and I said, I don't want to put my people in jeopardy. Okay? If you want to do it on an individual basis, go for it. Okay? But what I'm trying to say is this, is that each church or each pastor or each whatever, has a, a tendency to prioritize what is important. What are we going to deal with socially? What are going to focus on bringing homosexuality down? Are going to... You understand? We're going to focus on preaching against abortion and, and, and all of that kind of thing. Do you with me? Well, my, the way I look at it is this. Those are moral things. They're, they're, not, they're not questions about social justice... They're moral things to me. Homosexuality is a moral thing. Abortion is a moral thing. Should I so I should always when I preach the word of God, I should always preach against sin. I should always preach against homosexuality or abortion, right? That that's your priority. Amen. Um I think you know what we believe here. One man, one wife for life. Not one man, one man for life. Or one woman, one woman for life. do we believe? But they're trying to take that away, our ability to speak against that. They call it hate. It's not hate. It's a moral issue. So we will make it a priority. That doesn't mean though I'm going to have each one of you or ask each one of you to write your name on a petition. Okay. Does that make sense? So each different church, again will prioritize certain social things. Abortion, homosexuality. Other churches will focus on politics. Okay? Politics. Who's, Who's in office? Other churches will focus on helping the poor. But where's the priorities, my whole point? The church can't do it all. So how do we prioritize what is important? What are the social things that we should deal with? as a church. What should we get involved with? Hallelujah. Amen. Okay? So for some, it's abortion. Others focus on health care. Others focus on care for the poor. But again, it's difficult to prioritize. But I do prioritize moral things at the top. Okay? So no focus on that. That's not acceptable to God. This social thing that's going on, homosexuality, it's not acceptable to God. Abortion, not acceptable to God. It might be acceptable socially, but it's not acceptable to God. Amen? Okay. Um, so on and so forth. Then when we come into we come into another question. All right, okay, the role of justice: how we help the needy, how we help the poor, how we focus on on those kinds of things, the powerless, the poor, um, these various issues. Okay, for example, what if somebody is in need, but they don't deserve it? How do we approach the biblical mandate? That God gave us in those prophecies that we read, Isaiah one seventeen, and then Micah six, and and you know, First uh, John three, and James one, and, and those scriptures that we talked about, we where we are mandated as a people to care for the poor, for the oppressed, for the widows, for uh, the orphans, so on and so forth. Those that are in need. Okay, that's focusing on social justice and fairness for people and how to help them, correct? How? How to help them socially. Well, what if you've got a person that has destroyed their life by their own bad decisions? What if you've got a person who has destroyed their family because of their own bad decisions? What do you do for a person who's destroyed their economic amen, condition by bad decisions? Are are we as a church, you know, when you deal with social justice, are we to help those people that have destroyed their lives by bad decisions, destroyed families by bad decisions, destroyed their own economic situation because of their own bad decisions? Do we as a church have a responsibility to help people like that? Well, then you have to bring another word into the picture. And this is helpful for all of us. Is that you got some people that they, they did it to themselves, man. And you know they did it to themselves. I mean, you, you with me? They, you know, hallelujah, they've destroyed their life, they've destroyed their family, they've destroyed their own... Uh, economic condition by their bad decisions. And you know it, and they know it. Okay? Well, then another word comes into the picture. It's no longer just social justice. It's social mercy. Social mercy. You see? Are you with me here today? because obviously there are people who have destroyed themselves their life their their economics right what? their families they did it to themselves and they're coming from hell and if you if you make a decision only based on social justice you'll say no okay but if you add to social justice social mercy. I'm going to help the undeserved. See, that's where mercy comes in. Mercy is is God giving us what we... Hallelujah. Grace is God giving us what we don't deserve. Mercy is God not giving us what we do deserve. And so sometimes people are going to come, man, and they have blown it. They have have messed their lives up. They've messed their family up. They've messed their economy up. And they're coming from hell. Are we to turn our back on them? We have to be wise in that decision. But you've got somebody that knows they've messed up their life. Their life's a mess. They know they just about destroyed their family by the decisions they made, destroyed their own life, and destroyed their financial status by the decisions they made. And they know it. And they come and sit on the church pew, and they, yeah, we're not going to help you because you did that to yourself. Amen. Now, I got a question for you today. All of you people out there, brothers and sisters in the Lord, when you came into the church, how did you come? See, see, here's here's the problem we have. The problem we have is when you get in the church, you forget where God found you. <laughs> and 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 as soon as you, you get wind of what somebody did before they got in the church, you got wind of it and now you're a news broadcaster. And you come and, and, and listen, I know who I know I'm preaching tonight, hallelujah, to somebody. You come in here and every time you come in here, you are judge, jury, prosecuted attorney. Well, I know what they did. And I think pastor probably does too, but he just letting it go. He just cover, it's a big cover up in the church. Well, you better thank God there's a cover up in the church. Because you might want somebody that you got secret information on, you might want it to be known publicly, but Lord, what about you? What about you? You better, you better ask yourself that question. When you come in here, judge, jury, and prosecuting an attorney, and you're ready to hang them up, Because something they did in their life, and you say, well, that's a real bad sin. Mine wasn't too bad. Really, it's not too bad? Let's just talk about it. Come on up. Well, if it's not that bad, why are you ashamed to tell it? It's just not as bad as the information you have on somebody else. And you act like when you come to church that you have never done anything wrong in your life. You've never messed up in your, a day in your life. How, if it wasn't for the grace of God, you would have destroyed yourself, destroyed your family, and destroyed your finance. And the Bible says judgment begins at the house of God. And those people's lives were a mess before they came into the church. Give them an opportunity for God's redemptive power to work in their life to change them. Just like He did you! Amen. I saw brother so-and-so, he went in the jailhouse the other day. Did you know that? How did you know that? Were you there? You saw somebody go in the jailhouse. How did you see them? Why were you there? Somebody come and tell me, hey, I saw a brother or sister. So they took, they went and picked up sister so and so, and they took her straight to jail. I saw them escort her into the jailhouse. My first question is, what were you doing? <laughs> Are you hearing this? <clears throat> so when we deal with people, it's not just social, social justice we have to make a decision on. It's social mercy. Yeah. Giving somebody something, give, social grace, something they don't deserve. Hallelujah. Praise God. And that's what Jesus did for me. And that's what he did for you. He showed you grace and freely forgave you your debt. Praise God. So when we deal with this question of social justice, how to help people, sometimes we've got to add social mercy to it. And 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 you know, and talk to him, say, now you don't deserve this, and you know you don't deserve this, but God's showing mercy to you, He showed mercy to me, and God's showing mercy to you. Are you thankful today for that mercy? The Bible says if you've been forgiven much, you love much. Hallelujah to the Lamb. And I, I, pre- I preach to some people in this church. I, I know a little bit about your past. I don't want to know everything. Lord, help me. I mean, just enough, just a little bit of information is about to make me lose my mind. So I for sure don't want to know the whole story. But I know a little bit about your past. And mercy was shown to you, and mercy was shown to me. And, and God comes and helps me when I don't deserve it. Hallelujah. Praise God. Some of you act like you paid tithes when you were born. You came into the world, and you were born paying your tithes. And you deserve all the wonderful, abundant blessings of God that's coming to you. Mercy. Grace. He's just a good God. He helps those that need help. Amen? So sometimes we have to help people not because they deserve it, but because Jesus would do it. And, and because we had, we got help. Say amen. I thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. And to me, that, that's a measure of true Christianity. Now, you got to be careful with that. You do. You, you give people money and they run down and buy booze with it or buy cigarettes with it. I mean, you don't want to do that. But you know what I'm talking about. You know where we are here. How many of you know God was gracious and merciful to you? To me. Amen. So if we see some people, if we're not doing it, but somebody else is doing it individually, or government's doing it, we need to thank God. There should be a screening process. Amen. I mean, that should be in place. But praise the Lord. There's some people that need help. There's some people that need a a helping hand. There's some people that... And they don't deserve one bit of it. And they're not even going to church. It's called social mercy. Amen. How many of y'all love the Lord today? So when we talk about the role of social justice who we help and how we help, we always have to bring in that other aspect, social mercy. Amen? Thank you, Jesus. Now, I'll be honest with you. I mean, most of us have been burned enough by people that, that we have become hardened to needs. Because we've been burned. I have, you have. So when we get the call for help, we disregard it. I've been burned too many times. That's when you have to hear this word. Maybe the Holy Ghost will give it to you. Maybe you didn't have it before. Maybe I didn't have it before. That word from the Spirit of God says, right now what is needed is social mercy. And then, then, just, then help them, and say thank you, Jesus. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Each church is going to have its own vision how it operates. Okay, each individual is going to have something that drives them, something that motivates them. You know, uh, praise the Lord, and so we talk about. Social justice, social mercy, how to operate, individual responsibility. Number one, number two, legitimate needs, priority, mercy. Are you with me here? Those are those are all things that that sort of an individual is an individual vision. Okay. The focus on spiritual eternal equipping should be number one important. Is that I preach the Word of God to individuals who recognize that they're individually a sinner before God. Do you understand what I'm saying? That when they come to church, they're not going to point the finger at all of the different structures. And talk about all the evils in society and all the sin in society. That's not going to be their focus. Their focus is, I'm a sinner. Tell me how to go to heaven. That's the number one priority. When I talk about priority, number one priority is not for me to help somebody on a social level, but to preach the gospel to them that's the number one priority okay because if we do, if we don't preach the gospel to them and tell them how to be saved eternally then we're starting the wrong we're not starting with the scripture we're starting with the social we're starting with action and then we get to the scripture amen to so try to find support for our social and our action number one priority for me and for you is to show people and preach to people the gospel of Jesus Christ. Show them how that they are an individual sinner before God and how they can make it to heaven. Number one priority. And then after that, as they continue to come to church and they hear the Word of God preached and they change their life, change this, change the way they pay their bills or don't pay their bills. Hallelujah. so. so. Amen. Stop breaking the law. Hallelujah. Things will start getting better for you. So that every time you see a light flashing in the window, you don't think it's OPD. Amen? Because you're on your way to heaven and your life is better socially now. You're a better citizen now. You should be. And I should be. And your economy, your economics, your financial situation, amen, should be getting better. But from time to time, you'll fall on hard times. And that's when God... Are you with me? First priority, preach the gospel. Second, Secondary is the social aspect. Hallelujah. Help that person become the best person they can possibly be. Help them to become the person that God created them to be. He created them to be in His own image. So preach to them so that they will become what God ultimately planned for them to be. Not just going to heaven, but how to live in this life. And how to, hallelujah to the Lamb. Give God praise in this house. Once we get you on your way to heaven, praise the Lord, then the job, then the work really starts. It's keeping you on the road. Amen. You do realize the book of Acts tells you how to get to heaven. It gives you the plan of salvation. And then after Acts, you got Romans, first Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, what's some more? Huh? I got it all. I got all kinds of books coming at me here. What I'm trying to show you is you got the four gospels of what Jesus did on the earth, how he lived, what he preached, how he died for us, what he did to provide salvation for us. Then you got the book of Acts that tells you how to apply that to your life, how to get saved. But after that, you got Romans through Jude that tells you how to live in this world for him. After you become a believer. And then the book of Revelation is a book of prophecy. You understand that, right? Hallelujah. Oh, yes. Okay. Now, the problem is sometimes people focus on saving society and neglect the gospel. They don't preach the gospel anymore. It's just how to make a better society. How to liberate people. Okay? Hallelujah. So there's gotta be a balance. If there's the balance, then we prepare you for eternity, the world to come. If there's a balance, we teach you the mandates that I read to you in the scripture earlier about being just, about being righteous, about being fair, about being a people of equality, or equity. Hallelujah. About treating people right. And helping people when they're in need is part of it. How many of y'all believe what I'm preaching? Amen? I don't want you just to make it to heaven. As your pastor, I'm going to say it again, I don't want you just to make it to heaven. I want you to learn how to live. I want you to learn how to to live a victorious life. I want you to be successful spiritually. I want you to be successful mentally. I want you to be body, soul, and spirit. Not just your spirit. But how are you today in your body? How are you today in your mind? How's your finances? God doesn't want you bankrupt. God doesn't want people coming and picking your cars up. and, And... taking them off down the road, and you running out in your underwear? That's my car! Bring it back in the name of the Lord! We finally found you, brother. You hid your car in the dungeon for six months, but we finally found it. What the world are you doing hiding your car from them? repo man you know what I'm saying how do y'all believe God wants you broke he wants you poverty stricter no God cares about the poor he hallelujah to the lamb he cares about your body he cares about your soul he cares about your spirit he cares about how you treat each other at home. How a husband treats a wife. And how a wife treats a husband. He cares about how children, how their brothers and sisters treat each other in that household. Yeah, He saved you. You're on your way to heaven. But it's World War III. All right. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise the Lord. God wants you to have a... I believe God wants you to have a good social life. The Bible says that Jesus grew. He grew, He grew in favor with God. He grew in favor with man. Hallelujah. He grew physically. He grew in his mind, he grew spiritually. The Bible talks about how Jesus grew. You know, well, I'm going to have, I'm, oh, I got the favor of God. Do you have the favor of people? Well, I got the favor of people, but do you have the favor of God? Are you growing physically? Are you growing spiritually? The Bible is very clear that Jesus, the Scripture makes reference about how Jesus had grown in those areas of his life. Amen. It talked about how Jesus was obedient to his parents; he became subject to them. God cares about that. He care, young person. He cares about you being obedient to mom and dad. He cares about what kind of home you have. He cares about you having favor with men and favor. With, he cares about you growing physically. Luke chapter 2, you don't believe me, you read Luke chapter 2, it's in there. Well, I'm on my way to heaven. We're about to kill each other, but I'm on my way to heaven. I'm just being realistic to you today. I'm Hallelujah, see? This is called practical preaching. How many of you are on your way to heaven? Lift your hand. If you're not, you're fixing to be. Well, good for you how's your How's your married life? How's your bank account? Paying your bills? Got the favor of God? Got the favor of your pastor? Woo. That's a big question right there. Well, I got the fire of God, but I don't care about the pastor. Well, you better care about the pastor because Jesus had favor with man and God. Amen. Praise the Lord. I, I appreciate Melba. She came to me last week. She said, Pastor, she said, I got go to go over to the church that I used to go to in Midland. And, and, tell, and talk to the pastor because he's wondering where I am. And she said, I believe in submission. And so she went over there Sunday morning and, uh, amen, praise God, because she believes in submission. You think I was going to jump in the middle of that? Say, ah, don't worry about it. You don't have to go over there. That. You got God. No, how is your relationship with men Amen, it's important. And, and, and it goes the same way for me. What's my relationship with you? You know, praise God. I mean, be able to prophesy and cast out devils and hallelujah, give my burning body to be burned with fire. But if I'm not and, and have a right relationship with you, it's nothing. God cares about how we treat each other. You with me today? Hallelujah to the Lamb. Praise God, I'm fixing to just blow it out of the water. I'm fixing to mess this whole thing up. I'm fixing to just I'm fixing to mess it up. Don't crucify me, I'm gonna tell you. God wants you to have the best sex life that you if anybody in the world. Now I'm getting it back. I'm I'm hearing it coming back. Well God don't care about that. He just wants me on my knees praying. You better get into bed. Woo, you're about to lose her. She's about to lose him. God wants it wants it to be good. You see, we become so spiritually minded, so heavenly minded, we're no earthly good. That's the problem. Woo! I've never seen so much joy in all my life. (laughs) Praise the Lord. Take an offering up right now. I know there's going to be some men throwing some hundreds in there, but I'm just telling you that God cares about these things. Hallelujah! To the Lamb. And if it's not good in your house, I promise you, somebody's going to drift and somebody's going to look at, look for, it for somewhere else. Look for it somewhere else. So it better be good. Hallelujah! To the Lamb. Give God praise. Amen. I'm, boy. I really would like to go on that one, but I think, you know, you look at your head. You need to pray. Your attitude's not right. Come here, hon. I promise you, he'll be speaking in tongues. Now, okay, I told you I could go a long ways with that one, but. Well, I'm just telling you, it might not need to speak in tongues. Looks and say God cares. Now you make sure you tell your wife and your husband that, not the other guy next to you. <laughs> oh boy, that'd be horrible. <laughs> I told you I was going to mess this up, man. I knew before I got up here to preach it. I was going to butcher this thing. Amen? But God wants you to grow, not just spiritually, but physically. He wants you to grow physically. He wants you to grow in favor with God and with man. Hallelujah. Come on, somebody. He wants your home to be the best home in Odessa, Texas. He wants you to be blessed. Not just so you can keep it for yourself, but so you can help somebody else. Thank you, Jesus. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. When people see their life, they ought to want to be a Christian. I said they ought to want to be a Christian when they see your life, the blessings of God, the family relationship. They ought to want to be a Christian when they look at me and when they look at you. Do they want to be a Christian? You're out there in the social realm, in society. There ought to be people in the church that feel very comfortable coming and talking to you. There ought to be something, something about you that, that is a winsomeness that, that draws people to you. And they don't even know why, but they, they want to talk to you. They want to be around you because you've got to, you know, there's something winsome about you. And you don't have to hit them with a Bible the first time you meet them. Just make a friend out of them and then at some point when God opens the door, then you can win them to Jesus. Hallelujah to the Lamb. But they ought to feel comfortable. There should be a winsomeness about you. Somebody give the Lord a hand clap of praise. You'll never win no souls to God if you can't talk, be a friend to somebody. Amen. Praise the Lord. How many of y'all believe what I'm saying? See, you, you guys out there, and I say all the people I'm preaching to, you guys out there, you know, you see me from in the, in the pulpit a certain way. Some of you don't know how I am out there. You don't know how I am out there. You just see me like this, you know. Oh, friend, I have a lot of fun. I said, I have a lot of fun. And I like to talk to people. I said, I like to talk to people. Hallelujah. Praise God. I want want some friends. I want to win some people to God. God cares about that. Well, let me continue. Say praise the Lord. everybody get the point? everybody get the message? I feel like I need to go back on that marital counseling again. When it comes to the marital bed, you're not worried about holiness of dress. You got it pinned all the way to the top. To the... It's pinned down at the bottom and pinned this way. (laughs) This way and this way. You're married. (laughs) What do you want your husband to do? This (laughs) You look at him, you beast, you animal. Mm. I, I just, I knew it. I going to butcher it. Woo. Praise the Lord. God is good. Hallelujah. How many of y'all love Jesus tonight? (laughs) How many of y'all believe He came to give you life? And that more abundantly. When you study that, He came to give you life. And super, super, duper, abundant, super, duper, abundant. That's what it means. Super, duper, abundant life. Not just to take you to heaven. But to give you a victorious life. Hallelujah to the Lamb. It's good to live for Jesus. I said, It's good to live for the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank God I know Him. Real quick, closing. When you talk about social justice, you have to get into what's called liberation. Now, liberation theology is a theology and I want to, I'm going to give this to you because you need it. Because you're going to see certain races of people, certain cultures approach things a certain way and you're sitting back going, what's going on? Why are they, why are they doing this? Why are they acting like this? Why are they thinking like this? And we, we think they're just barbaric. But a lot of times, it's not that they're barbaric. There have been put in them by preachers. Liberation theology. Amen? Praise God. Do you understand liberation theology, what that teaches? That it's our church, to, it's our responsibility to a church to see people liberated. Okay? Now, uh, praise the Lord, what should I do, God? I'm, I'm going to stop right here. I'll preach this one next Wednesday. Okay? Y'all want me to preach it now? Thank you, I'll preach it now. Amen? Liberation theology. Let me, let me real fast, real fast, give me about... Mm, I don't have a watch, so I can't tell you how long. Liberation theology. You know where it started? It started. Liberation theology, the theology that teaches uh, people being liberated, it started in in Latin America. Latin America. Okay? How how are we going to... And basically, the reason why this theology called liberation theology came uh, into existence in, in Latin America was because of the severe poverty and severe oppression of those people. So the preacher started preaching a theology of liberating the people, getting them out from underneath the oppression and the poverty and the social problems they had. Are you with me? It did not arise out of Western theology. A lot of it came out of the Catholic out of, cath- out of Catholic context that the church should help to liberate people, not just spiritual salvation. Now, are you with me here? We'll talk about the pros and and the cons of that in just a moment. But there's other... When you talk about the beginning of this liberation theology in the Latin culture, there is Asian liberation theology. How do we help the Asian culture in their particular Uh, Problems and needs. Hispanic liberation theology. A theology that's going to help liberate the Hispanic culture and and tries to help them socially. Understand? Whatever particular problem the Hispanic culture faces, whatever the oppression is that they face, we have a, a, a theology that helps them With their particular need. There is the liberation theology of the African American. Say with me, the African American. There's the liberation theology that is a liberation theology for women and feminists. It's called women's lib. There's a theology connected to that. Lifting the oppression off of women. There is even today, there is a homosexual liberation theology. How to help the homosexual, uh, you know, understand, be liberated, to be free, to live in that lifestyle. And how to help how to help them overcome the oppression. All kinds of liberation theology. Amen. How do we help the Latin American in this theology? They say oppression is keeping them poor. The sin of oppression is keeping them down. The sin of oppression is keeping them poor. The problem is, is in liberation theology, they start with the social. Then they move to the praxis, which means practice or action. Okay. So we see what the social problem is. We want to help them socially. Okay, that's where they start with. We have to do something about it. Action. So now let's go to the Scripture after we got these first and get some support for what we're trying to do. It's backwards. Okay? Evangelicals start with the Scripture Amen. Action and deal with the social. The problem is, again, they focus on the social. We're going to take action. Now let's go to the Bible and find support for what we're doing. Okay, you with me here now? If you are, say praise the Lord. Okay, I promise you, I'm almost done. The problem with it is. The Latin American liberation theology uses a lot of Marxism in its in its thinking, its ideology. In fact, Latin American liberation theology puts Marxist thought and ideology above the scripture. And basic Marxism, from what I understand, basically is a social, socialistic type of approach. Okay? Are you with me here? Alright, so we got we got a social problem here. We're going to take action. But the answer to them is more Marxist. Socialistic. So we have the problem. Instead of starting with the Scripture. You understand? Going, looking at the social from the... Okay, the Scripture says, this is what must be done. This is the problem. Scripture says, this is how to fix the problem. Here's the action to take. Scripture is the main thing telling them how to fix the problem socially. Again, in liberation theology, it's more of a socialistic viewpoint. We start with the problem. We're going to take action. And then we'll try. We might use a little bit of the Bible to get support, even though we may not even necessarily believe in the Bible as the Word of God. So there's a little problem with it. Okay, you with me here? Alright, are y'all with me here? Okay, real quick. For example, oppression of women. The women's liberation movement has a theology. And that theology basically, we're going to help women. You know what their concept is? We've got to liberate women from male, white male dominance. The problem are you seeing what I'm saying? The problem is the oppression of women, social. We're going to take action. Amen? And the action we're going to take to liberate these women who are oppressed is we're going to get them under out from under white male dominance. We're going to liberate them. You see how if you start with the social and you try to take action and then you come up with scripture? You've got a problem the Bible doesn't teach the woman to get out from underneath male dominance <laughs> say amen oh boy it's quiet in here but that's just one example Okay, are you here with me today hallelujah that doesn't mean that now praise the Lord I can, I can feel it right now you see a white man up here When I talk about women's liberation, you know, we need to get the women out from underneath white male dominance. Well, hallelujah. I've seen some Hispanics that are more cruel to their wife than a white man ever was. I've seen African American men more cruel to their wives than a white man ever was. So don't bring that to me. Amen? Boy, it's quiet in here now. Where's all the shouting and the joy going? We were talking about something a while ago. I mean, now of are going crazy happy in here. Now we're talking about this, and all of a sudden... I mean, a while ago, the men were going, preach it, man, preach it. And now they're like, Macho, macho man. Okay, so anyway, the problem with it is, is they start wrong. They start with the problem, take action. It doesn't matter if it's right or wrong based on the Scripture. All right? It'll mess you up. Now, uh, I'm almost done. But going back to the Latin American liberation theology, again, it's more Marxist, more socialistic in its viewpoint and literally puts Marxist thought above the Scripture. we got a problem there. In liberation theology, it's praxis, it's practice, it's action. Don't just... Okay, listen to me. Are you with me? For the most part, in liberation theology, we can put the Bible aside. It doesn't matter what you believe. We'll put it aside. Orthodoxy doesn't matter. As long as you are doing, taking action. Okay? If you're taking action and you're trying to do something to lift the oppression, the Bible doesn't matter. That's a problem. You with me here? Okay. We'll talk about the pros to this in just a moment. But really, in liberation theology, it says, do it! Don't just say it! So I can adopt that because the Bible does say be doers of the Word, not hearers only. So I can adopt some of this, but not at the extreme that they do, which means set the Bible aside. We're just going to take action. Problem. Does that make sense? And their theology is a different theology because it's first social, then action, then scripture to support a particular lifestyle or support. You with me now? I said it all liberation theology began in Latin America. Let me share what their views are, real quick. Salvation is a social focus. It is not eternal salvation of the individual. That's not their focus. Their focus is how to save the person socially. Okay. Is that biblical? They focus on all the oppression, all the exploitation taking place structurally. Not so much to the sins of the individual. Are you with me? Okay. So then the Christian then in their viewpoint should become one with the poor. The Christian in their viewpoint... Their focus is, help the poor be liberated. Okay? The focus for the Christian in liberation theology is not, preach the gospel to them and tell them how to be saved. In liberation theology, it's save them socially. Okay, you with me here today? Praise God. And again it became it was out of that culture of oppression and poverty. Amen. And bad social. You know, come on, anybody here today? There's a lot of murder that goes over goes on in in some in Latin America, some of those cultures. Horrible murder. Horrible social situations, horrible poverty. Horrible, deploring. Living and so, the preacher started preaching liberation theology. We need to liberate these people. We need to lift, get them up out of that poverty. Get them up out of that pro- oppression. Amen. Make their lives socially better. And so they tried one reform after another, one attempt after another, and it didn't help. They, the people stayed in that oppressed, poverty-stricken situation. Why didn't it work? They said, well, the reason why all of these programs didn't work is because of the sin of oppression, keeping them down. So we've got to get rid of the oppression. Do you understand? So it was the sin in society that was keeping them down, they said, not the sin in the individual's life. So we're going to help the poor not preach the gospel to them. But we're going to identify with them. We're going to seek to liberate them. So salvation for the most part is here and now. Do you understand? Not in the world to come. Not deliverance from this world. But transformation of this world. Take this corrupt society and make it new. Make it a new world. Make it a new life. Making a new society. That's what liberation theology is all about. It's about social. Okay? Does that make sense to you? The exodus is used by liberation theolo- theologians. Do you understand liberation? Liberating the person socially. Okay. Not necessarily redemptive. The focus is not redemption. The focus is not redemptive. The focus is on social status. Are you here? And so they go to the Bible and the Bible, they get support from the Bible, the Exodus. Look, God came and delivered an oppressed people from slavery. God cares about delivering people from oppression. And the focus is not upon forgiveness in the exodus or redemption in the exodus by the blood of the Lamb. The focus is God delivering them out of slavery. Okay? Are y'all with me? Now, yes, God delivered them out of slavery, but what was the ultimate purpose? Redemption and forgiveness of sins by the blood of the Lamb. But liberation theology doesn't focus on that. Doesn't focus on the individual need. Focuses on making society better. Woo! So they start with the problem, take action, and then look to the Scripture for help. But oftentimes losing the focus on what's important in an ultimate way. Do you see that? Okay. I'm almost done, I promise you. They go to the prophets. And we know we preach the prophets to you. And, and it talks about oppression of the poor and, and how the prophets addressed these things. Oppression. okay. Taking care of the widows. Being concerned about the widows or the orphans. They, they talked about these things. The prophets talked about making sure you pay a fair wage to your workers. The prophets talked about peace. In the community. And when the liberation theologian takes the prophets, that's what they get. They get those scriptures that focus on those things. Okay? Social things. Well, that's good. But don't neglect the rest of the message. Does that make sense? When they look at Jesus, I hope, you, I hope you're not too tired to hear what I'm saying. They don't look at Jesus as the Redeemer. They look at Jesus as the great Liberator. He's come to liberate us. Are you all with me here today? And when they look at the life of Jesus, you know what they focus on? Liberation theology? Only what Jesus did in history as a man. How he changed history with his life. How did he liberate? Are you with me? People. Does that make sense? They don't focus on him as a redeemer. Amen? In the way evangelicals would. We look at him as as the one who, who died for us for our sins. Are you here? But liberation theology says He came to liberate us. He came to make us free. Now I want you to hear what I'm saying. Because when you hear the news, people are talking about we need freedom, we need liberty. And they're talking about their own rights. You will hear them talk like this. Jesus came to liberate us. He died on the cross so He could identify with the oppressed. He died on the cross so He could identify with the poor. That's what they say. Jesus died on the cross for my sin. And yes, He did more for humanity than any man ever did. But He didn't just come to liberate you socially. He didn't just come to liberate me socially. He didn't just die on the cross to identify with the poor. He didn't just die on the cross to identify with the oppressed. He died for my sin. And don't be surprised. And see, this is why I sort of felt, not because you gave me the okay, but I felt led to continue preaching because you're going to see things going on in society. And you're going to hear so-called preachers preaching about how Jesus is the great liberator. Hallelujah. He came, are you all with me here today? To liberate the oppressed. That's why He died. He died for my sin. Not just so he, not so he could identify with some poor person or, or identify with, with oppression. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise, would you? <clears throat> so when they talk about Jesus, they talk about Jesus as a historical figure. Okay? And what they do is they take the Bible and they set the Gospels aside. And they don't preach the Jesus of the Gospels. They preach Jesus as a man who changed history, who came to liberate. Are you with me here today? My friend, you cannot set the Word of God aside. You can't set the Gospels aside. The Gospels present a Jesus that's totally different from what liberation theology preaches. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Very little focus is on doctrine in those people. They're not going to tell people from the Word of God what they need to do. Because doctrine is not important. Just liberating the person at any cost. You hear what your pastor's saying. Liberate the person at any cost. Even if it means revolution. Radical overthrow of the government. Revolution. Whatever it takes, as long as we can liberate this people, it's okay. Because we're taking action. Because we see a problem. You hear what your pastor's saying now. I said, now, that's not the approach we take as evangelicals. Why, what does the Bible say about Jesus? Who is Jesus? Why did he die? Why did he live? Come on, give God praise in this house. They say, well, when Jesus came, we'll we'll look at his human life. What did he do? When he came, he opposed the governments. What did Jesus do when he came? He opposed the religious leaders. So, Jesus is the liberator from political leaders. From, are you with me here? He's the liberator. Are you, he, he fought He fought the government. Hallelujah. Well, so basically what they're saying is, liberation at any cost. We can create anarchy, disobedience to the laws, as long as our people are liberated. As long as our people get their rights at any cost. And they use the Bible. They use Jesus, his life and his death, the Exodus, the prophets, to preach a liberation theology about how bad society is instead of how bad the individual is in need of a savior. Are you hearing this? So Jesus, when He's dead on the cross... How many of you wanted me to say this to you? And I'm going to say it to you whether you want me to or not. But I will tell you this. When Jesus hung on the cross, He was not a victim. But liberation theology says when Jesus hung on the cross, He became a, a victim. He, he became an example. Jesus did not die on a cross as a victim. He wasn't a victim to anybody. He was the Christ of God, the Holy Son of God that willingly laid down His life for you and for me. Jesus was never a victim. And for you to take a victim mentality in life and use Jesus as an example of victimism. I don't even know if that's a word you're wrong Jesus was never a victim he was in control when he was hanging on the cross he said into thy hands I commend my spirit and then he said it is finished to tell us time a word of victory and triumph he didn't die as a victim he died as a victor in the name of Jesus so we've looked at the Exodus we've looked at the prophets we looked at the life of Jesus we looked at the the death of Jesus now let's look at the church when they talk about unity liberation theologians talk about unity they're not talking about unity among believers they're talking about our unity with the poor that we should unite with the poor we should identify with them We should take up their cause. Okay, some of that's fine. But unity in the church is unity among the brethren. The brothers and the sisters. Give God praise. The mission of the church in liberation theology is not the preaching of the gospel, but economic and social deliverance. Not about heaven, but transforming the earth. So they speak against the evil in society and challenge oppressors. Amen? They take on a political role. The church should be politically minded. It should not be separated from politics. Some of it's okay. Some of it's right. We should be involved in politics. Amen? But they take it too far. We're going to be involved in politics... And we're going to, even if it's radical or by revolution, we're going to overthrow it in order to get liberation and get freedom. Are y'all with me? Liberation at any cost. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying to you? Hallelujah to the Lamb. You're going to see it on the news. You're going to say, Where'd they get this ideology? Liberation preachers put it in them. Okay? So they take on radical revolutionary approaches. Are y'all with me here? Okay, last thing I want to talk to you about is African American. We talked about Latin, Latin America, where liberation theology started. We, there's Asian liberation theology, as we talked about women, liberation theology, Hispanic liberation theology, African American liberation theology, homosexual liberation theology, hallelujah, how we deal with the oppression of all of these peoples and their particular problems in culture, in society, so on and so forth. One we talked about, we'll talk a little bit further, is African American liberation theology. Okay? I love my African American brothers in this church. It is my opinion, brothers and sisters, it's my opinion. In, in, in some cases, and I'll just say it as a broad statement, they are a royal seed in jeopardy. That God has been after that, uh, the devil has been after them, that culture for a long time. They are a royal seed. I don't know if you realize this or not. But in the in the genealogy of Jesus Christ, we have a woman by the name of Ruth who was a Moabite. She was a dark-skinned woman. And she was in the ingen- genealogy. A royal seat in jeopardy. Are y'all here today? I don't have time now. I could tell. I could teach some things in the Bible that blow your mind away. I, I could tell you people that were as as dark skinned as Brother Thurman is right here, and you wouldn't believe me because you want a white Jesus. When it comes to the, to his natural natural hallelujah, somebody say praise the Lord. Jesus was an olive skinned man naturally, he was a Jew. But he had some dark hallelujah, some dark genes in his genealogy. One of them named Ruth. I'm sorry to tell y'all you, you white people out there, he wasn't a white Jesus. And he wasn't a Hispanic Jesus either. But Afro African American liberation theology deals with the oppression and the poverty that is upon the black church. Here's the problem with liberation theology. Black liberation theology. There's one particular man, his name is James Cone. He wrote a book called God of the Oppressed. And in that book he dealt with the African American, the oppression of the African American and the black church. Amen? Now, all right, y'all with me? How many can look? You know what color my skin is? Anybody know? You have any doubts? Okay. You know when somebody has been affected by African-American liberation theology because when they find out he goes to a church that has a white pastor or he goes to a church that has a white pastor, our brother Jerry Cannon go back here goes to the church of a white pastor. Somebody that's been affected by African-American liberation theology will look at them and say, you have a white pastor? You go, you go to the church of a white pastor? Oh! <laughs> 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 they don't have no soul! gotta yeah, preach. Yeah, yeah. I have you to know I travel, my wife traveled with me, my little girl traveled with me, all the way to Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Amen to hear one of the greatest theologians that has ever lived. His name was Wagner. Bishop Wagner. Bishop Norman Wagner. I heard him preach in a Pentecostal service. He was a one God, Jesus' name, apostolic preacher. He was known as one of the top 17 theologians in the world. He was the prelate of the assemblies of the Lord Jesus Christ at one time. And I traveled thousands of miles just to hear that man preach. And I stood out, my family stood out like a sore thumb, man. <laughs> Hallelujah.
1: We were getting down, man.
0: Are y'all with me? So don't don't play that card with me. But, I, but there are some when they find out that you go to a white man church, they just can't believe that. And, and it is because they have been affected, many of them by African American liberation theology started by James Cone. James Cone. He doesn't begin with the Scripture. In fact, he doesn't even believe the Bible is the infallible Word of God. He begins with a social context and uses the Bible only selectively. And the great sin, he says, the great sin is the sin of whiteness. Hallelujah. I'm as white as they come, man. And, and, and that, liber- that African American liberation theologian will look at me and say... You're the problem. The great sin is the sin of whiteness in their theology. So if we could just be liberated out from underneath the white man's oppression, you know, is a goal because the sin of whiteness is the great sin. And when James Cone talks about the sin of whiteness, he's not necessarily talking about the skin color. The sin of whiteness he defines Are y'all here? The white man's oppression of the African American and the poor. In some cases, true. It should not be in the church. But in some cases, true. So when it comes to Jesus, Jesus is the black Jesus. Not necessarily talking about skin color, but they say because Jesus came To help the oppressed and the poor. He's not a white. He can't be a white Jesus. That's sin. They're the ones that oppress the poor and the black. He's a black Jesus. And the black Jesus, again, is the liberator. The black Jesus is the one that came to help the poor and the oppressed. That's the way so many see Him. Are you all with me here today? So oppose, in that theology, oppose the sinful whiteness. Do you understand what? Now, listen to me carefully, church. In some cases, that's true. But if you get up and you stand in your pulpit and you radically beat your fist on the pulpit... And you tell your congregation, your African American congregation, that this, the great sin is the sin of whiteness and the oppression of the white man on our people. What are they going to do? Liberation at any cost. Anarchy in the streets. Revolution. The white man's against us. In some cases, that's true. But it shouldn't be in the church. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. But you see, you see different ethnic groups or, or gender groups hitting the streets and it's okay, protest. It's your right to protest. But don't try to overthrow things radically by a revolution to try. <clears throat> To create a liberation. Does that make sense? Stop pointing your finger at some gender or some ethnic culture. Stop pointing the finger and saying, they're the blame. It's individual sin. You're going to find bad white people in bad. African Americans and bad Asians and bad Hispanics. Individual sin is the problem. And the minorities sometimes I'm not preaching a white message today, I'm just preaching. But I want you to think about what I'm saying. So many minorities talking about the white man being prejudiced against them. The first thing that comes out of their mouth is the great sin of whiteness. Who is prejudiced? When your mother says, you go to a white man's church, who is prejudiced? The man that's preaching to you or your mother who talks about prejudice but people hit the streets and fine protests but they hit the streets in the name of liberation theology Are y'all hearing me today and i'm not i'm not saying that that doesn't happen at times amen But it doesn't give you a right to create anarchy. And salvation, even in that theology, is more social. More social. Okay? Liberating whatever culture, the Latin, Hispanic, liberating. Asians liberating, women liberating, homosexuals from oppression. It's not about salvation of the individual eternally. It's about a social salvation. Do you understand? Are y'all here? Man, I I, I tell you, I have heard preachers that were really true preachers, apostolic preachers, African-American preachers. They taught me a lot about what I understand about the oneness of God. Bishop Wagner, when he talked when he preached on the oneness of God, nobody could preach on the oneness of God like that man. Nobody. I've got tapes in my library where he taught on the oneness of God. He wasn't white. He was black. He went in to be with the Lord. And when they had that, his funeral, there were thousands of people there. Thank God for true men of the gospel. Whether they be white, Hispanic, hallelujah, black, Asian, whatever. There, there are some true preachers. But I'm talking about preachers that take a liberation theology approach in trying to liberate their particular ethnic group at any cost. Socially, more than anything. Okay, you with me here? Amen. Say praise the, Lord. praise the Lord. Real quick. The positive aspects of liberation theology, theology must connect to life. Don't let your theology just out, be out there floating around. With no meaning. Do something in life with what this Bible says. That's a positive we can take from and that's praxis. That means practice or action. Put it in action. That's something good you can take from liberation theology. Okay, A recognition of social sin. Sin in the structures. It's there. There is sin in the structures. There is injustice um, in the judicial system. Judges sitting on the on their benches, legislating law instead of upholding law. Okay? There, there is some partiality. There, there is sin in the structure. So when they, when they try to change that, that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's a good thing. If something is unjust, God is going to stand on the side of right, not, injust, not the side of injustice. That's a good thing. Again praxis, praxis P R A X I S being involved in political process. It's not so much about party, Democrat, Republican, or independent. Okay? They they, they emphasize the importance of being involved in, in politics. Again I will say the positive is yes, be involved in politics again, it's not about necessarily party. Okay what party they are. are you with me? It's about policy. I can agree with with any party that upholds what this Bible says. I can agree with any party. Are you here? That has policies against abortion, that has policies relating to health care that's not necessarily socialistic. Health care more free market based you may disagree with me on that you may social society uh, a adjust social society you is to have socialized medicine I don't know what you think but it doesn't seem to be working right now all right so so whatever party you are really doesn't make a lot of difference. What's your policy? What do you believe about abortion? What do you believe about same-sex marriage? What, what do you believe about very important moral things? Amen? You may have differences on how to, how to approach health care, but the socialistic approach where you make everybody do it a certain way, it just doesn't seem to be working. So change it if it doesn't work. You with me? Social justice. Hallelujah. I, I personally, This is my personal opinion. I believe in a free market. Free enterprise. I believe more of equal opportunity instead of equal outcome. That's my opinion. Where a person individually has the same opportunity as everybody else has, but with effort, discipline, and skill set, can accomplish things in life. But everybody here has got, basically, most of us have the same opportunities. That's what I believe. Are you here? Okay, so you don't. Some of you may not believe that. Okay, I believe in le- legal immigration. Legal immigration, and however we can help, praise God, the innocent. How we can help? It, but it, 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 praise God, they just can't violate law and break law and everything else. And I don't know how they're going to fix the immigration problem. But well, whatever they decide to do, there has to be boundaries. Amen. Legal immigration. Upholding the Constitution. And the law. Instead of legislating law from the bench, upholding the law, which they were which they were sworn to do are in the Constitution, which they were sworn to do. You understand what I'm saying? So again, yes, get involved in the political process. is not about party, it's about policy. Are you here? How many of you want Marxism? How many of you want a social society? You want that? You want your freedom taken away? You want the free market taken away from you? You want that kind of lifestyle? I want you to think about it before you get in contention with me. Now, And I understand that sometimes as the individual is responsible and putting forth effort and, and is disciplined and responsible. Are you here? Works on their skill set. I do understand that at times people fall in hard times. The church can help them. Or the government. But it should only be temporary. It it should never be where you take the the independence of the person away where they're no longer responsible. It should not be long term. It should be temporary. Now, I'm going to come to the close with this and I appreciate your your patience with me. I'm going to say this. Brother Dice used to teach us this. No, he didn't teach us. He taught me this. He told me, He said, if you take a person's independence away from them, that means you're doing everything for them. When you do that, you're taking their independence away from them and they will hate you. Now, you would think that if somebody was doing everything for you, that you would respond to them in love and and thanksgiving. It's just the opposite. You let somebody do everything for you and they take your independence away from you, you will hate that person. That's why I'm real careful. Alright? Before we start giving you money and stuff, we'll work with you to try to help you make the right decisions biblically in your life, make changes that you need to make in your life socially. So you can be a productive citizen on your own and be responsible for yourself. Amen. But if I start throwing money at your problem, or the government starts throwing money at your problem, you lose your independence, fills you with hatred. That's why I'm very, very careful with the way I do these things. All right. Say amen. Hallelujah to the Lamb. So for those of you out there today who think the social justice should be, everything should be done for you. You totally misunderstand humanity. You do that and they lose their independence. And they hit the streets in anger and riots and where's all that coming from? They've lost their identity. They've lost their independence. Praise God. Sometimes we mean well, don't we? I promise you I'm almost done. See, I'm at the end of the lesson right here. We mean real. We mean we good, don't we, brother? Hallelujah. And sometimes we give so much advice and people don't even want your advice. <laughs> Sister Christina, I got it figured out. I had a question. You know, what's going on? You know, the the gentleman that bought our house, I went over there the other day, and man, I was telling him everything about the house. I was telling him about how to run the swimming pool equipment. I was telling him how to run this and run that and run this and run that. And and I said, am I talking too much? No, no, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. But he had this strange look on his face. And I couldn't figure out, I'm trying to help the guy. I wouldn't even let him get a word in edgewise. Because I had so many important things to teach him and tell him about this house, right? Because I want to help the guy. Well, basically, I figured it out, Sister Christina, why he kept giving me that strange look. I was taking his independence away. His right to choose and decide what the, the path he wanted to take, what he wanted to do with the swimming pool, what he wanted to do with this. I was trying to be helpful. I meant well. But I think he started hating me for it. I'm man. If I want your advice, I'll ask for it. I'm a man. Oh, I ain't drowned. I don't care. Go bankrupt. I don't care. Do you, you see where I'm coming from? But sometimes we mean so well, we're trying to give people a lot of information, trying to help them. All we're doing is taking their independence away from us and they hate this us for it. Wow. And he thought, man, I thought I was really helping brother Jonathan. Hallelujah. By telling him everything, you know. He started hating me. Not really, but I'm just saying. Does that make sense to you? you got to be careful. Hallelujah! Some of you well-meaning dad laws and mama laws. Get involved in your kid's life. Tell them, how. well, you need to plow it like this. You need to cut it like this. You need to rake it like this. You need to dig it like this. You need... Now you know, don't forget to put a piece of wire around that air conditioner. The dog's gonna eat the pipe. You tried your best to try to help them learn from your mistakes, and they're looking at you and they hate your guts because they want to learn by themselves that the dog is going to eat their air conditioner, and they don't want you to tell them that. And we mean we do, don't we? We mean well in trying to help people in so many different ways and they just don't want our help. I got it figured out, Sister Christina. I gotta figure out. I was wondering why he's looking at me like that. Hallelujah. You know, you mean well. You want to help your kids out? You pull them in the front yard, you start unloading your truck. Mops, brooms, mop buckets. So, what do you mean by this? <laughs> I'm just bringing you a mop bucket and a broom so you can clean your house. I'll keep my house clean, I'll have you to know. You're going, whoa, what'd I do? And then you drive by there their house the next morning, they've thrown all the mops and the brooms and everything out out in the middle of the street. Splinter. I spent good money on that. Why are they doing that throwing the mops out in the street? They don't want your help. My point is this. If you try to build a social... a, a society, a just society based on doing everything for people... They lose their independence, and they are filled with hatred. So you have to be careful about when you get involved and how you get involved. Because you'll come back with a bloody stub. You'll get hurt. And you'll wonder why. That's why some of y'all call me and, you know... Say, Pastor, I'm going to go do this for so-and-so, and and I'm going, man, I'm biting my tongue. (laughs) I'm thinking, don't dare do that. (laughs) But you've already told me what you're going to do, and I'm not going to try to change your mind, so I let you go your merry way, and you create more problems. than you fix. Are y'all alright? Man, y'all are really looking at me with some really strange looks. You know what? I, I got it figured out. I've already given you too much information tonight. You're starting to hate me. That's. Uh, oh, come on. I heard it. Sister, yes. What do you mean, yes? Come up here. I, I got a rod right here. What do you mean, Yes. So we can learn again, theology must be connected to life, recognize some social sins, yes, get involved, be active, hallelujah, praise the Lord, so on and so forth, politics, we already talked about some things, concerns about liberation theology, it has a Marxist influence, socialistic influence, it puts Marxism over Christian truth, False doctrine is oftentimes in the writings. The way they handle Scripture is often wrong. The balance of the individual and society evil is not there. It's more focused on the evil of society than the evil of the person, all right? Amen? In summary, when we talk about where's the balance, eternal salvation, The preaching of the gospel, social justice, where's the balance? We should desire the freedom and liberation of all people. Amen? As they seek to experience the fullness or their status in the image of God. So it's both. It is a preaching of the gospel and it is social justice. We have to obey the mandates of scripture in the area of social justice. We need to care for the poor. We need to care for those that are in need. So on and so forth. Amen. Social things. All right. The way I handle it is that summary right there. Is first of all, we want to get you in the kingdom. I'm going to ask somebody to get um Sky ready for baptism. Uh, at this time somebody help me we want to get you saved get you on your way to heaven then once we get you on your way to heaven we want to teach you teach you and preach you the word of god so that you can live right so you can live just so you can be the best person you can possibly be the one that god made you to be in every area, not just spiritually, but emotionally and physically. Everything you can possibly be. Amen? And we want to preach to you the Word of the Lord and balance. God wants to bless your life and prosper you. Amen? I'll say it to you this way. If it's not in heaven. Amen? There's some things that aren't in heaven. Sickness isn't in heaven. Poverty isn't in heaven. Are y'all with me right now? God wants you to have a super abundant life. Not that this world will be transformed into paradise. Amen. But you as an individual, as you're converted to Jesus Christ, and as God changes your life. Amen. And you grow spiritually in favor with God and with man and physically. That's God's ultimate goal. You, there's nothing wrong with your body. This body right here, nothing wrong with your body, amen. What's wrong with us is we have a fallen nature. Your body is not a fallen nature, nothing wrong with your body, hallelujah! Praise God. God wants you to grow in your spirit, your body, and in your mind. Don't forget that, hallelujah! How many, of you since you got in the church, and got born again. You know you're on your way to heaven. All right, wonderful. How many of you have changed your life here? In the here and now. It's made a difference in the here and now. That's true social justice. Amen? And so I think where we draw the lines, obviously, there's some things that only government can do, the church can't do. There's some things that the church can do, the government can't do. And there's some things that are going to. be up to you individually to do. Okay, how you try to better the the social ills of of our world. Okay, and uh, amen. We'll do what we can as a church. You'll do what you can as an individual, and we'll trust the government and its laws and institutions and so on and so forth to accomplish what it can. Every everything everybody has to operate in his particular role. Okay and just exactly how to make it all better socially? The only way I know is by preaching Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Amen. 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 Crucified, dead, buried, risen Hallelujah. from the dead. Amen. Amen. We are to love, love the Lord with all of our heart, and love our neighbor as ourself. These are the two great commandments. All the law and the prophets rest on those two loving God and loving your neighbor. you do that, you don't have to worry about anything. you got it all covered. Let's stand. Father, we come before you right now. We ask your blessing to be upon your people. We ask, Lord Jesus, that you'd have your way in and through each and every one of them. We thank you, God, for not only saving us and preparing us for eternity in the world to come, but also, Lord, that you are concerned about the social justice in this life, you are concerned about the oppressed, you're concerned about the poor, you're concerned about the orphan, the widow, you're concerned about injustices in people's lives. It is your goal, Lord Jesus, that there be justice in society. And let us as a people, as a church, influence our world with salt that they might be thirsty, that our lives be a salt, that they might be thirsty for what we have. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.